I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Listening to the Downtown Writers Jam podcast. All new episodes after quite a lengthy time away. So, today we're going to talk to Les Kirkendall, who is in town for the Fringe Festival in Indianapolis. He's actually, he actually lives in Los Angeles, and as you'll find out, he is from sort of all over the place. We've entered into a very interesting part of the podcast because uh, we've primarily talked to writers. Um, And there's this whole class of people that we're about to be talking with um, who identify themselves as storytellers. Um, And Les is one of those, had a great, interesting, long career. And one of those people who um, has run up against a lot of walls um, and just, fuck it, like just didn't let that stop him. Um, He's African-American. He's gay. He's short. All three of these things will become important as he as we talk um, because he tried to become an actor and those three things worked against him in various ways, as you might imagine. Um, And so what's interesting and what I really love about his story is that um, while painful facing rejection, use that as a way to uh, craft his story and figure out um, how to find his voice. Uh, and so even though it, much of um, what he does is now performed, he, which is different than many storytellers, crafts his stuff first on the page. Um, and so uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, you listening to my discussion with Les, which is going to happen right now. So the, fir- the first thing that I want to know, and then we're going to go back and we're going we're gonna to walk through your whole life. Uh, how do you identify yourself in terms of writing? Like comedian, storyteller, playwright? I actually, oh gosh, you know what? Honestly, it depends on who I'm talking to. Um, I actually, um, I consider myself a storyteller. But 
Um, and I and by the way, this is actually getting better. A lot of people, when you tell them a storyteller, they they associate storyteller with some like old lady sitting in the library telling stories. Um, so a lot of times I tell people that I'm a comedian because it's just easier to tell people I'm a comedian. Um, and uh, there was one point in my career that I did mostly do stand-up, but now I'm definitely a comedic storyteller. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I consider myself a storyteller. So what does that, so, like, here, this is what's interesting to me, is that that word had come, has come into the lexicon really in, like, the last 10 years. Like, absolutely. 20, like, when I was growing up, nobody was like, I want to grow up and be a storyteller. Exactly, right? absolutely. So what does that mean to you? Like, when you say, I am a comedic storyteller, like, how... In your head, and the definitions are weird, right? It's like right. asking a band, right. what kind of music do you play? Like, right. I play music. What is it that that means to you? Like, when you sit down to create something? That means that I, 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 tell, I tell stories uh, that are funny. So it's not stand-up where it's like, you know, set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. I tell a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there might be parts of this story that even though it's comedic, there might be parts of the story that aren't necessarily funny or not necessarily generate a laugh, but it has a comic slant to it. Um, I feel that stand-up is more results-oriented, and if you don't get that result, if you don't get that laugh every, what is it, 30 seconds, yeah. then that means you're not doing your job, as opposed to a story where it takes twists and turns, and it's like a roller coaster, and it's more of like a journey where it may be, what I say, may be funny, but you don't necessarily have to laugh, and you don't necessarily have to have, get that result of the, the laugh every so many seconds. When did you, so this, this has evolved, right? Like oh, for absolutely. you, like, so when, oh, yeah. because it didn't exist, like that wasn't a thing, right? It Things like the moth and like started happening. Right. So you start off as a comedian? I start off. Stand up comic? I start off, actually, I start off as an actor uh, who moved to LA and wasn't getting much work at all. Um, and I fell into stand up and then I started working as a stand up. But um, I didn't, I, I like kind of enjoyed stand-up and I kind of liked stand-up and stand-up was good enough for me at that time. Um, but it didn't feel like there was enough. I wanted more. Um, I, I wanted more. And so basically how I fell into storytelling is um, a group of friends of mine who were fellow comedians were also sick of doing stand-up. <laughs> and so they started a night, and at the time, the night was called Anything But Stand-Up, where you show up and you do five minutes of anything but stand-up. So five minutes of a story. And I, when I showed up and did this, it automatically felt right. It felt, it just, in my gut, it felt right to me. Um, and then it, it, it just kind of evolved from there. So let's... We're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna go back. Okay. So, you're born in. I'm born in London. So what part of London? I love London. I I was born in my parents. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was I was born. My alarm. It's one. It's one p.m. and my alarm is just going off. I'm on performer. Uh, that is the life of a performer. <laughs> Rolling out of bed at one p.m. <laughs> um, so I was born in London. My dad was in the Air Force at the time. My family lived in Wembley. Okay. And did you grow up there? No. No, no, no. My dad, um, so, uh, my dad was in the military, got out of the military, put himself through school, um, and then he got a job working for the Department of Defense. Uh -huh. And so, through working for the Department of Defense, my family traveled a lot. So... Um, Do you I have moved, brothers and sisters? I have older sister, younger brother. So I'm the middle. You're the middle. So you're moving around a lot when you're young. Moving around a lot. So, you know, um, after my dad got out of the military, we moved from England to Texas, <laughs> Texas to uh, San Diego, lived in San Diego for a few years, moved from San Diego to Guam, moved from Guam to Madrid, Spain, where I actually went to one high school through my high school career, which was... Um, unusual. <laughs> so I went to high school in Madrid, Spain. Then my parents stayed in Spain. I went to college 
for two years in Munich, Germany. Um, after Munich, Germany, I then, after two years, went to acting school in New York. Uh, lived in New York for a couple of years, then after New York, moved to L.A., and I've been in L.A. ever since. So when you are, I, I hear this story a lot. Like a lot of folks, um, of the writers and people that I've talked to, many of them traveled around a lot. And right. this became the way in which they ingratiated themselves as they had new friends. Like every right. time there's new right. people, new people. And you have to... In some ways, you, it's a defense mechanism, right? Like you either yes, yes, you either let people define you, or you go in and begin defining you. Yeah, and it was funny because I was talking to my ex boyfriend about this, um, and he mentioned something about you know the fact that I can go into a room, into a I can go into a, an event or a room somewhere and just dive in and leave the room knowing everybody. And I was telling him, I was like, that was survival. That was you know. When you're new in a school or you're new in a situation, you got to either get in there and meet as many people as possible or you're going to flounder. And so, yeah, that was definitely like a, a, a survival for me to get in there and meet people. Did you find yourself creating, like, were you writing and, and reading? Like, were you doing a lot of that when, as you were traveling around? Or when were I was you, younger? Yeah, were you, like, just sociable I, and, like... I was just, okay, I was just sociable... I was just sociable, um, and I could meet people easily, but I always had an interest in writing. I didn't do it, but I was always interested in it. Were you doing a lot of, uh, reading? Like, was that- Doing like a, oh gosh, a lot of reading. I read a lot. Um, this is the other thing I hear, right? Because you're sort of traveling around, like, yeah. why do you think that you were- why? Why? Because not everybody I'm, gravitates to sitting okay, and reading. This is gonna sound, okay, this is going to sound really... Okay. So, <laughs> since I was a little kid, I have had an interest in soap operas. As a matter of fact, my very first memory as a kid was an episode of General Hospital, which, by the way, I still watch yeah. to this day. Luke and Laura. Right? Like, right? Yeah, exactly. right, yeah. My, exactly. my sister watched it, so I watched it. <laughs> so... A lot of my interest in books, I was the kind of books that I was interested in were books that were like a series. Like I loved the Hardy Boys as a kid, right? Nancy or Drew, Nancy Drew, yeah. because they were like series and they would go on, and it was like this continuing story. So I read a lot, but I was I was drawn to books like that, you yep. know, like the Narnia books, yep. like the Oz books, which a lot of people don't realize that the Oz there's books more than one series. There are like thirteen books. <laughs> I like read all 13 books. Right. Um, so th that's where my reading came from is just reading these series of books and just reading the ongoing story. Yeah. And so, and do you think about that now as you're a storyteller is like do. the genesis of that? I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. Do your uh, brother and sister, are they the same? How do they react to that stimuli? No. My sister is a musician. My uh -huh. sister's a singer and she now teaches music um, in Washington, D.C. She actually, um, she's actually got her Ph.D. in music, so she's, she's gone she does that it. direction. Yeah. Um, and then my brother, my brother is a whole other, I, I don't know what he does. <laughs> <laughs> so you've all sort of, you, you've dealt with the stimuli of moving around differently, although two yes. of you, the arts became a thing. Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. what point did you realize as you were sort of doing this, moving around and growing, did your parents support that? Were they like... My parents were very supportive of, um, uh, well... That well, sort of creative endeavor. My parents were supportive to a point. <laughs> to a point. Because I remember um, when I was uh, in high school and looking at colleges, um, and I remember deciding when I was a senior in high school, because I, I started, I started acting in high school when I was four, you know, like a, when I was around 14 and I remember it's our senior year, we're having career day and it would just dawn, they were, we were talking about all these different careers and it just kind of dawned on me, Hey, you know what? I want to be an actor. That's, that's a career, right? And people make good money doing this. This is what I want to do. And I remember... Um, our our uh, headmaster slash guidance counselor going, no, you don't want to be an actor. You want to be a drama teacher. I remember saying, no, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be an actor. 
that's what I want to do. And I remember telling this to my parents and me getting the brochures for American Academy of Dramatic Arts and my dad saying, I am not paying for you to go to acting school. You are going to a college and you're going to a four-year <laughs> college and that's what I'm going to pay for and that's what you're going to do. And then I, you know, ended up going to a four-year college. Is that why you went to Munich? Yeah, I went to Munich to go to college. It was a two Munich, Munich was a two-year program, and I remember my dad was next to me during orientation as I was filling out the paperwork, and I put that I wanted my major to be a journalism major, but then when he left, I proceeded to <laughs> audition for the play and get into the play, which meant that I toured uh, on the weekends with this play for credit. And that's what ended up happening. So you found a way around. I found, you a, found way a loophole. Around. Oh, I lied. Yeah. <laughs> I lied, basically. And so when, <laughs> when, after two years, when you decided to go to acting, you went to the... It's Amer American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And what you, did your parents say at that point? Because you had done the college, so you had ooh, done... Okay, so I had done the college... And then when it came time for me to transfer to, uh, basically how the how the program worked is, it was a it was University of Maryland used to have a campus in Munich, Germany, and it was a full on campus. So I had so much fun living my life in Germany that when it was time for me to transfer to the University of Maryland, I didn't have enough credits because I enjoyed myself <laughs> way too much. And so my parents wanted me to continue on with college. And so my dad was basically like, okay, yeah, you can audition for, for the American Academy. And I don't think that he thought that I was going to get in, and I auditioned and got in. So since I got in... He paid He was for stuck. It, and he was stuck. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up in New York. That's amazing. Did you, what point did you know, like, that you, was it freshman in high school when you sort of realized or knew, like, I need to make, I need to make things. I need yes. to, like, do that. Yes. What yes. was that moment? Do you remember the moment where you were like, yep, this is it. This is my thing. Because you said you looked at the brochure. Right. Can you trace back and go, here's when I knew this was my path? Well, um... I auditioned for a play, I got into the play, and I the play happened, and I started got, getting all this attention and realized, hey, I'm actually good at this. Yeah. Because you might, uh, when I was a kid and growing up, my dad, um, my dad is a former athlete. My dad was a former, my dad boxed professionally, and so athletics was very important to him and um i have a brother who is good at every sport on the planet i am not so i grew up feeling that i could do nothing right uh and, but then when i discovered acting and did this play and got all of this attention and realized hey i'm actually good at this is something that i'm good at i can do this that's when that yeah that off in me and do you think that uh that happened in high school, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's also, as you guys are moving around and all of this stuff, and, like, I'm assuming you get a social identity as well. Yes. Like not So, like, now yes. it's, you no longer have to push that out. Right. It is a thing that is just happening because of what you do. Right. And that has to be transformative. Oh, yes, yes. And, like, I mean, clearly, you're still doing it. <laughs> and, 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 and when I was younger, I was also, believe it or not, I was very shy. Like, very shy. Like, painfully shy. But then I learned with acting, well, if I put on this persona, then I can meet people and people will talk to me. And actually, if I put on this persona, I'm actually a lot of fun. And so I did a lot of that yeah. as well. It's interesting because we were talking before this started and I, I was do these things on stage every once in a while and I always tell people what you see is not who I am I sit at home on the couch with my dog and my wife and my cats and before I can talk in front of people I have to put on the Brad show right. like how much of that is that sort of what you were talking about like yeah. you oh, yeah. do you still do that or do you feel more authentic now like was there I a moment where you got comfortable with you as you yes I, I feel more authentic now I genuinely like people, and I genuinely <laughs> like meeting people, yeah. and especially from a, a storyteller standpoint, a lot of me now, I love meeting people and talking to people because I love uh, figuring out what makes people tick, and I find that genuinely interesting 
with talking to a person and just figuring out who they are and getting to know them and learning why they do what they do and, in a sense, learning their story. Right. And what's your story and where did you come from and why do you act like you do now? I find that genuinely interesting. So I love talking to people. Yeah, and that's actually part of the genesis of this, right? It's like uh, trying to understand um, writing and creativity. I hated writing profiles of people that did creative stuff because they're always dumb, right? Like right. the thing that interests me most are like, what's the thing, right? What right. What is the thing that made the pearl? Right. Because it's always something, right? right that like, and it's different for everybody, but there's it generally runs through their whole life. Right. Um, so you you go to the uh, drama school, American School of Drama, American Academy, of American, uh, and what happens there? Is that like a wildly successful time for you? Or well, actually, no, <laughs> no. It was the opposite. Where I got there, I worked really hard, um, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I ended up kind of getting, um, I, I ended up getting a little disillusioned and I ended up getting like, I, I kind of was looking, can I swear? Yeah. Oh yeah. I ended up, I ended up being there and thinking, okay, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. And you what know, was it about it that made it bullshit? Well, okay. You get there and I think it, maybe it was kind of a slice of life. Like, like you get there, there were people that were the favorites there were people that were not the favorites. There were people who could do nothing wrong. Um, the teachers, you know, I realized that, okay, these people are teaching. They're not working. <laughs> um, and it just, it, just turned, it just turned out to be, you know, if, if you were the favorite, great. If you weren't the favorite, then you didn't do so well. I was not one of the favorites. And Why do you think that was? Now that I think back on it, like, you know, 25 years later, now that I think back on it, I, I think um, I, I was definitely, you know, not a cookie cutter person. I was definitely, you know, I definitely had my quirks and ticks and, and things that made me me that their whole thing is we want to, we're going to break you down and build you back up. Um, so basically everything that now, as a storyteller, behooves me by having my own quirks, my own tics, my own way of doing things, my own idiosyncrasies, they wanted to kind of suck that out and make you just like this actor, you know, this cookie cutter um, actor. And that just didn't work for me. So when you say, what is a cookie cutter actor? Like, is it, is it race? Is it? class is it or is it a way that they wanted you to project like all or was it above. all of it all of the above like i remember when i was there there was a rumor that because you had to get invited back every year and i remember and i don't know if this is true or not but when i was there i remember there was this rumor of well they only invite two black kids back a year and that was no yeah like i said i don't i don't know if it was true or not but that's what yeah that's what the rumor was, and I now find that rumors like that tend to be true. Right. Or at least have some genesis in a right. truth, right? Like, right. very rarely do they just bubble up as... Right. You could also look around. Right. I'm assuming you could look around the room and say, yeah. I don't know if it's true, but right. there's two true, of us. There's two. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, uh, so, this is the thing that... And I have this discussion a lot because I'm Appalachian, so I'm from, like, a really... I'm from the part of the world where you've been warned about, right? Like, don't go there. Um, and so as I've gone out into the world, when I have this accent, like, I find myself oftentimes, like, you know, it's fine. Like, we can have these <laughs> conversations. And it's very interesting. And it is the thing is I've gotten older and more comfortable with it and been able to sort of define it. It makes more, it, it's easier today than it was before. But when I was young, I was really angry that I always had to, like, explain to people I'm not stupid. Mm -hmm. Um how much of that journey, I do think, going through that when you were young, you had to be, what, 20, 21, yeah, 22, yeah. Um, has helped shape and shape what you do today and the kinds of stories that you tell. All like, of it has shaped it. Yeah. All of it. And then plus all this on top of I was a closeted gay kid, too. Yeah. On top of everything else. Yeah. So. Um, when did all, you come out? I came out when I came out. Well, 
These days, it would be late, a little late. I came out at 26. So it's after this. You're there yeah. at the... I came out in California. Like, I had my first experience with a guy in New York. Um, but I came out, out like, when, after I moved to California. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you leave so what happens in the do you finish the, the drama I school? do not get invited back so you're only there for a year I'm only there for a year so after you fought to get in and right, do this thing and all like, this, I get there and it turned out to be not what I thought it was going to be um, but even though I didn't get invited back and I saw it like devastate a lot of people I in my gut felt like no I I deserve to be here too as far as I'm I, just because I didn't get invited back they didn't define it, you no like they didn't get right. to say like right. you're not good enough exactly just because you guys didn't invite me back doesn't mean I'm gonna stop pursuing my goal right and I want to be an actor and I'm gonna do this whether you like it or not so <laughs> screw you I'm moving to California I like and you that's how I ended up in California so then do you at that point is this the point where you realize I have to make my own shit like these I, people are not going to write stuff for me well I get to California and um, I start pursuing stuff in in uh, California. So and, you just go right back to yeah. the people that just kicked you out. You right. go to the other side of the country yeah. to get kicked by them too. Right. Okay. So I, I go to so I go to California, and I start pursuing it. And um, you know, it's it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And because uh, now you were, you thought you were out there for a mission, like I'm on a mission to right. show that they, so I'm going right. to, so I'm going to go to California and announce my presence with authority. Right. right. And then that doesn't happen. So <laughs> I go to, so I go to California and I start pursuing it in California. Um, but I really, you know, one thing about going to these schools and especially only making it going for the first year, they don't teach you, they really don't teach you what it's like out in the world. So you're in this little bubble, and that's it. Um, so I moved to California, and I, I really don't know what I'm doing. So most of it's trial and error. Right. So even though you have this experience, you really are... I still don't know. You're actually behind the people that just went out and started doing it. Right. Or at least you feel that way. I feel that way. Yeah. So I'm, so, um, I'm basically learning through trial and error... And I, I work here and there. I work a little bit. And then I fall into stand-up. And when I fell into stand-up, you got to write your own jokes. Right. You got to write your... I fell into stand-up, and I was pretty good at it. Right. And, you know, for the first time after all of this struggle and going through all of this stuff, when I do stand-up, people are like, hey, you're really funny. Right. Which is and, the opposite of what you've just dealt with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, hey, you're really funny. And hey, you're pretty good at this. And I was actually a natural at it. Um, so part of stand-up is you've got to write your own jokes. Right. And your jokes have to come from you and your jokes come from your life experience. So I started writing jokes and that's how I fell into the writing. Yeah. So do you write on stage or do you write... I write. So you sit down and like the show is, when you were doing it was... I would sit down. Put I together, would, write yeah. the jokes, like try them out. Yeah. Edit them. So you weren't one of those... fact, I went out and got a book. <laughs> and the book, I think it's called, it's a book by a lady named Judy Carter. And it was called Stand How to Write Stand-Up Comedy. <laughs> and I literally got this book and I literally wrote my jokes following the directions from this book and the jokes worked like premise setup, like just yeah. doing the three turn yeah. like premise and I, on a turn <laughs> and and i would write these jokes and the jokes would be pretty good and so stand-up kind of felt like i ended up being like a natural act. yeah so i figured okay well then i will use stand-up as my way in right so you when you were doing it you knew that wasn't the thing you wanted to do right but it was the way like it after was, coming out of this you're not like us, so you right. don't get to do this. Right. This is sort of your entryway. So how long do you do that for? I do stand-up. Or do you still do it? I don't do stand-up so much anymore because now that storytelling is, you know, in the industry, storytelling is actually very accepted and you yeah. can work as a storyteller. I now work, the majority of my work is as yeah. a storyteller. When did they paid work? So how many years did you do straight stand-up? I did straight stand-up 
humbled actually a long time. I did straight stand-up for close to 10 years. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, as you were doing it, did you, was there a goal that you had in mind? Like, did you think, I'm going to do this for, because you didn't really think you were going to do it for the rest no, of your career. No, The goal was But always, 10 years is a long right. time to accidentally do something. The goal was always, <laughs> I'm going to do it, do it, and work, and just work is work is work is work. So this is, con- yeah. as long as I'm getting some kind of payment from it, I will do it <laughs> and be a working performer. And then I will one day get my series or my sitcom and I'd be done. So that was the plan. Yes. Um, and so we're not there yet. Well, we're going in a different direction right. and it's not a bad one. Yeah. Which is the storytelling thing. So yeah. how much of the, t- tell me about the process of the storytelling stuff. Is that, do you still write that out, script I that do. out? Like all I of do. that is very, there's no improving up on stage or very little. Very little. Yeah. There's, or put it this way. There's like, I always tell my technician or my, my person, um, I, I do the festival circuit a lot. So a lot of the, the, the rules of the festival is you've got to provide a script or right. you've got to provide a written script. So I tell the person who's running my lights and sound, this is my written script. Uh, I will probably not follow it word for word, but the through line is there. And I will, I probably won't follow this word for word, but I will not leave you hanging on the sound and light cues. Right. And go. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell me, cause I, this is interesting. It's all interesting, but this part is interesting to me because I don't know anything. Up until this point, I've heard these stories before, but the storytelling thing is so new. So what's the first storytelling thing that you wrote? Like, when did you go, oh, shit, this is a thing? Um, So I go to that place called Anything But Stand Up. So that was the first one? That was the first one. So it's a five-minute... A five-minute story. And what was it about? About how I was going to be turning 30 and I was feeling old. So quaint now, isn't it? right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and so, how long does it take you to write? I actually, it actually doesn't take me that long, um, because once the pressure of not having to be funny and having to be set up punch wasn't there, it literally just flowed. Because then, I didn't like it was like a, a the pressure was lifted because mm-hmm. oh, this doesn't have to be joke, 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 joke. I can just write whatever I'm thinking, and it's fine. So it's not that dissimilar from the act, the drama school, right? Like once the structure of that goes away, right? So this woman in the book told me to do these three things and I right. did. I mean, you were good at it right. and got acceptance unlike the drama. Like once you get to the storytelling, well, then it really is just you. Right. So there's been a series throughout your life of like, I'm going to go do this thing. Like I don't right. want to do it that way. Fuck that. Right. And so this, so you do the five minute thing and uh-huh. how long does it take for that to become career like uh well okay so then like this room so i do the five minute thing it's great it's every wednesday night by the way it's still going on over 20 years later i'm still a member of really and where is it where does it at it's it's now called the name has changed it's now called story salon Uh and it's in studio city california So straight up in la straight up in la and so the cool thing is is okay so we meet once a week every week um and the only rule is you have to bring a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now five to seven minutes. And still written. And, uh, you can do it however you want. So people improv it. could be written. It, it could be singing. T- singing. <laughs> you could tell it. It's how whatever you want. It just has to be five to seven minutes. It could be anything you want. There's no censorship. There's no nothing. You just, whatever you want to do, you do. So it's and become it's a lot. So it, it's become a lab for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, like in, in... It's the oldest storytelling venue in Los Angeles. And so how many people show up? It, it's like, so there's a legit audience that shows up. So I'd say between like 20 and 50 people. So like it's a thing, right? Yeah, it's a thing. Have you been to the... Um, do, do you spend a lot of time in Chicago? Uh, I go through it. I'm there every now and then. Have you been to the Uptown Poetry Slam? No, I haven't. So it's so Poetry Slams in America started with a guy named Mark Smith, like 25, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's been, the Green Mill is uh, um, Al Capone's bar. Right. And he runs, every Sunday night, mm-hmm. a three-hour Poetry Slam. Oh, that's cool. And, and like, oh, 100 people show up. And it's rad. If you've ever been to Slams, like, you know, like, they're rowdy. The more people drink, oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. like, people are yelling and screaming. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's the most, I it's why I became a writer. Uh-huh. Um, I was a writer and I covered this thing like 20 years ago and I was like, I hate poetry. Uh-huh. All my events are everything <laughs> but poetry. And I went to this thing and thought, people are 
hanging from the fucking ceiling screaming about poetry like this is amazing like that was the first time I realized writing could be something other than a thing you read in the book right which I'm assuming is a little bit like what the storytelling thing yeah. is like this isn't just writers sitting down and the words are alive yeah and you see immediately how that goes exactly so um how do you then go from that? Because it's easy, not easy, but you can build a thing that's its own thing in a single place. How do you then begin branching out and saying, oh shit, I can, there's other things like this? Okay, so um, so I, I, I'm doing the storytelling thing, but I'm still doing stand-up as well. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing the storytelling thing, and then I decide, hey, you know what? I have enough stories now, since the rule is you got to bring a different story <laughs> right. every week. Right. I have enough stories that I want to try doing a one-man show. So I go and I rent this theater in LA, this cabaret room, yeah. Masters Cabaret, and I do my one-man show. And I end up doing the six-week run of my one-man show. Um, you rented it out for six weeks or you uh-huh. continued to just that rent it? That was like it? a deal. Like you had to rent so it you, out. You had like a legit run. It was one of these things where you... it was. You got, like, a door deal, so, you know, they would get so many, and it was like a dinner theater um, sort of a thing. So, I rent this theater for six weeks. I do my one-man show. One of the publications, LA Weekly, actually comes out to review my show. I get a great review. No idea. Like, you didn't... No idea. I just did it. No idea. I just did it. And so, and it was another one of these, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. I can do this. So, um, one of the guys, um, his name is Michael Rayner from my storytelling group from Story yeah. Salon, came to my show and he's like, you know what, there is this thing called Fringe Festivals. Yeah. And, you know, I did a Fringe Festival. He's like a, he's a, he's a juggler, right? <laughs> and so, um... Like legit, not like, like legit. he, he no, doesn't like his, juggle lots of things. No, this like his it. career is like he juggle. Like yeah. Um, so he was like, yeah. There's this. There's this. It's this. There's these theater festivals called fringe festivals, and um, you can actually make a decent amount of money, and it's a whole circuit. And you should, if you want to do more with your show, you should try it. And so um, I went home. And I Googled Fringe Festival <laughs> and up popped the Wellington Fringe Festival in Wellington, New Zealand. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do this Fringe Festival thing. I'm going to go to New Zealand and do this Fringe Like festival. as far away as yeah. possible in case it doesn't go well. Right. I'm on the other side of the world. And so this is, so I checked it out and I filled out the application and like, Five months later, I was on a plane to New Zealand. Really? Well, I didn't know any better. And a lot of it, I didn't know any better. <laughs> so, so yeah, five, I was hopping on a plane and going to New Zealand for six weeks to do this festival. And so where did you stay? Actually, the festival helped me find places to stay. Yeah. So I stayed with... This, like people and... Yeah, I yeah. stayed with people. Like, just... Airbnb with a fringe, right? Yeah. They put you up for yeah. So, so I stayed with people, and yeah, yeah. So I went down to New Zealand. How was it? It like changed. That's what changed my life. It was a life changing thing. I'm in this different country on the other side of the world, doing a show that I had written, and getting attention, getting newspaper interviews, getting radio interviews, and it like changed. It changed my life. It that is that seriously like changed my life and just going it was like every it was all the experience I had like being a kid moving around from place to place you know having to go into situations and open myself up it was like it was like all that was preparing me for this because I pack up go to this other country by myself knowing no one and dive into this situation it literally is your childhood only you're in control of it right and I dive into this new country where, you know, I literally had to just, I just went in there and just went for it. And it literally changed my life. And what year was that? This was in 2000. So you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And you've continued to do the Fringe Festival yeah. circuit. Like, is that the primary thing that you do now? Yeah, but I'm branching out into other areas. So now, um, my show, one of my shows, I'm actually turning it into a movie. Really? Yes. So how's that going? Like, how, like, do you, are you writing the script or did you? Yes. 
writing. I'm actually on the third draft. Of so, did you get a book that said how to write a movie script? Is that <laughs> well, screenwriting for dummies? <laughs> screenwriting for dummies. And my ex partner actually um, is a writer as well. And even though we're no longer together as a couple, we get along. Yeah. And so he's like, and I will. I, I I trust. I trust his judgment. So a lot of stuff. Like, I run by him, and he's, like, a good, he has a good eye, and he's a good proofreader, so I run a lot by him. Yeah. Through him. And uh, are you shooting it uh, on your own, or do you have a production cut? Like, how's that happening? Well, um... Or is that to be determined? It's kind of to be determined, but there is actually a plan, and it's going to be a low budget. Yeah. It's going to be a low budget, so it's going to be, like, mostly interiors, which is a lot less expensive yeah. than, yeah. you know... Um, but no, it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's really going to happen. That's awesome. So this is a, so the through line that I hear for this is that, uh, you do whatever the fuck you want and that seems to work out best for you as opposed to trying to go to it, like that you go to the drama school that doesn't work. So you go do stand up, and then right. you find storytelling and now you want to make this into a film. So you're making it into a film. Because my eye opener was like when I talked to friends, um, and this is like, I'd say like five or six years ago, I'd be talking to friends who were like, you know what? My agent hasn't called me in almost a year. Right. Or I haven't worked in almost a year when I have worked consistently yeah. um, since 2000. Yeah. It's now in 2016. I've worked consistently every year for the past 16 years. I think that it's um, one of the things that I am part of why we started this group here in Indianapolis, but one of the things that fascinates me is that in this day and age I started writing about um sort of owning your own stuff at Wired back in 98 99 because this technology allows you to reach not that you're using that but it allows you to reach and get directly to people right and you can you can still do the machine if you want to but we don't live in an age where you have to do the machine and you can make a very nice career doing that it's harder in some ways yeah but it's yours right like because I, I definitely, I'm the huge believer in creating your own work. And if, you know, you, if, if the agents aren't calling, if the casting directors aren't calling, write your own show. Book your own fringe gigs or whatever you need to do. Right. Generate income on your own. And it's kind of funny. The funny thing now is, you know, when I go to auditions, because I'm still, I still am pursuing the, it, it's kind of come full circle. Sure. Where I still am pursuing the acting thing and, and um, I actually finally have, like, decent representation, which is great. But when I go into auditions, the first thing that a lot of these casting people say is they look at my credits from all the festivals and go, wow, you've got very strong theater credits. You've got strong credits. And this is all from stuff that I've written right. on the tour. So it's ended up, you know, that's right. what's ended up helping me out. It's really weird that the, uh, the machine, you know, 30 years ago, the machine would get you when you were young and you'd have some, they would cultivate that career. And right. now they expect right. you to cultivate your career and show up right. with right. your stuff. So they say, yeah, you have a great theater background. And you think, well, yeah, yes, right. I made it. Right. Yes. Exactly. Of course it's great. Exactly. Um, and I think it's both exciting and particularly when I talk to people early in their careers, I tell them like, just start making shit. Yeah. Don't worry if it's good or bad. It's going to be bad. It's the right. first things you're making, right? Right. 20 years from now, you should look back on that and go, eh. Well, look at, you know, <laughs> Justin Bieber was discovered on YouTube. Right. You know? It's like, that. now there's like no excuse. Right. Everything is at your fingertips now. Right. And it, the, the big hurdle is really your own fears and insecurities right. about what's going to happen or what right. the response is. Um, and that's why I always find it so interesting to hear how people start doing things because probably half the people I've interviewed moved around all over the place and used stories, whether it's writing or, or theater, um, that was sort of what they did. Yeah. And it just became the thing that they were. And right. even as they were faking it right and like sort of giving the persona, at some point that fades out and you become you. Right. Um, and it, I've heard the line, it is if my whole life has prepared me for this thing. And, okay, and it was funny because going back to the New Zealand thing, another way that it kind of opened me up and changed my life is so this was my first fringe festival so i went and like they had um and i don't find it in america here so much but they had like buskers so like what's people, that 
buskers or so, people who like street performers who gotcha, like juggle gotcha, or juggle gotcha. swords or eat fire or break their way out of what um, yeah. things. So I remember going and meeting like these buskers. So I remember meeting this guy who like juggled swords and he's like, I make $10,000 a year just touring. And I'm, and I'm like, what? You make $10,000 a year just going from festival to festival juggling swords? Wait, you're making a living eating fire. Wait, you actually make your living and pay your bills just traveling eating fire. <laughs> and that just like really opened up my eyes that, wow, okay, I can do, you know, yeah. there's a way to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that, again, like it, as a kid in Appalachia, like there, were, I didn't know any writers. Like that wasn't a thing. Like everybody worked in a in a place and they made uh-huh. a thing that you could then hold. Like right. that was what, um, and it took me a long time to realize like the words actually are a thing mm-hmm. and you can, and how, you know, you know, people don't artists, I think are really a, another hurdle for them is understanding that they have a value. Right. Exactly. And you deserve to be paid for your yeah, work. Yeah. It is a, my wife is an artist um, and she does some other stuff, but it, she started a company and many artists start nonprofits and she started a company. She's like, right. they're, if I don't value it, nobody else will. Exactly, exactly. And people, you know, if you don't, if you don't insist that you get paid, people will not pay. <laughs> they you. won't pay you. Oh, you know. And the word that I hate, which to me is like the F word, is exposure. If one more right. person says, oh, "Do this for free and you'll get exposure," right. I'm going to punch him in the neck. Right. It's like if you don't stick up for yourself and advocate for yourself. Right. No one's going to advocate for you. No. And and the other thing they do is they assume that because it is a passion that you will do it be, regardless. Right. Right? So, like, well, I mean, like, you're an artist. You should do this for right. the love of the art. Like, well. Right. And it's like, do you go to your job right. and work and not get paid? Right. No. And right. I bet if your boss would ask you to go to your job and work and not get paid, there would be a problem. Right. So, this is my job. Right. That's why you don't work on Saturdays, right? right. Because they're not paying you to work on Saturdays. <laughs> exactly. So, don't. Yeah. It's really, it. it's, it's, um. Some of that, I think, changes just because now of, again, we can reach people more easily. So you begin to see a value, both a monetary value, but also a cultural value. Like, we don't place cultural value on, it sort of sits at its own thing, right? Like, art sits in a museum, Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, that has value. But you don't walk down the street Mm -hmm. and see art. I mean, artists do, but, like, regular folks, I don't think, say, oh, that's beautifully designed. Like, that makes my life better. And it took me a long time to learn that. And it, it just got to the point where, you know, one day I did this event and I and I realized, okay, you're not paying anything. And when I'm done tomorrow, I've got to wake up and go to my crappy telemarketing job when you're making your living doing this and, and everything is fine. And you're paying the lighting people to come and light this. You're paying the sound person to come and provide sound for this. I'm the talent and you're not paying me anything. No, that's got to change. Yeah. And that that was that's when it it clicked for me uh so um we got time for just one more thing and then i'm going to let you go uh and i appreciate you uh coming in the chat so in five years in 10 years like you have this trajectory that sort of changed and moved around like what do you think you're making then all right okay this is gonna okay go with me on this it's gonna sound (laughs) it's gonna sound Weird. I like weird. Maybe it won't sound weird. (laughs) I have, and this is outside of all of his other issues, which he does have. Okay. I have gained, I kind of want to be the African-American version of Woody Allen. And with my solo shows, I want to start writing and producing my own films like that in that vein. Yeah. I don't want to be exactly like him, but in sure. that vein, in that vein. And that is my goal is to create films and films based on my solo shows and create my own brand of film like that. Yeah. That's what that's my that's my end game. I'm gonna say Steve Martin. Steve okay. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Martin. Yeah. Okay. Yes. He has less of the baggage yeah. with him. Because that's the thing. It's like, it's like, you know, I respect Woody Allen's right. work, his other, right. his, his outside activities. Right. I won't comment on that. But in that vein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that vein. Uh, that's really fascinating. Um, and it's, it, thank you for coming in. Uh, and the show that you, uh, are you continuing with 
uh, it's Terror on the High Terror Seas. Terror on the High Seas, yes. Um, so is that part of the circuit? This isn't the end of that here. It's still going to be... It's not the... It's the end of it just for this season of yeah. Fringes, but I'm continuing on with the show, and I'm going to continue touring with the show, definitely. The Fringe season basically goes until, like, September, so this is around the end. Yeah. So this is the last festival for me for this year awesome. no it's not nearly over no. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for coming in uh, it's been wonderful to chat and have Thanks. safe travels and i hope that we talk again soon absolutely all right that was less uh and it's our first time back in 18 months um so clearly you have heard a difference in the audio because of course i fucked everything up um you can find out more about what we do here at the geeky press by going to the geekypress.com you will see the monthly events we have in indianapolis the uh, quarterly and yearly events that we have um, we have retreats and things of that nature. We put on readings. So if you're a writer and happen to be coming through town, you should get in touch with us because we host things all the time. Part of what we are trying to do is build that community. Also interested in your thoughts. So you can either post your comments on our podcast page, which is at the geeky press, or you can send me an email. And if I find it interesting and you're not an asshole, I will respond. If you're not an asshole and I don't respond, it may mean that I'm just busy and it takes me a while. So you'll, only you will know if it's because you're being an asshole. Uh, the Downtown Writers Jam podcast is now going to be uh, recurring again. So a couple times a month, hoping at least twice, uh, we will be posting new interviews with writers. So you should look forward to that. You'll be able to find it on iTunes. You can also just listen to it on our website. You can buy our new book, Bad Jobs and Bullshit, which is an anthology that is put out by our little collective. We put a call out around the world. We've got about 75 submissions. We chose the best fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Publish those as a book. The release is... The release party is September 14th, so if you're in Indianapolis, we will be over in Fountain Square. You can find out all the details on our meetup page. If you're not, you should just go to Amazon, put in Bad Jobs and Bullshit, hit the search button, buy the book. Other than that, we are done for the day. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking to you all again soon. Have a great day. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.